The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, and today we are joined by Zach Beck of the Dynasty Dugout. Zach, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Uh, we, you know, I I always fall into this trap. Uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people do of just kind of focusing on uh, roto or just you know the formats that we sort of specialize in. And uh, I definitely don't talk enough about points leagues on this podcast. So I thought it'd be great to have you on. Uh, you kind of specialize in points league content for the dynasty dugout. And I actually play in points leagues. Um, so I, I have no excuse for not discussing them more. Uh, so really excited to kind of get into that with you today. Um, so how many, just right off the bat, how many, how many leagues are you in and uh, how many of those are points? leagues? Um, I'm in four, um, three dynasties, one redraft, two of them are points dynasties. So I would love to play in like 10, 15 leagues, best balls, NFBC. This year, I made a very concerted effort to really focus on the analyst stuff. I think it's like a weird, you know, kind of paradox that focusing so much in the prospect space, especially for dynasty, can sometimes take away from your game. Um, But I have the two points dynasties. uh, They're going into their second and fourth years. Uh, And I actually got started with points leagues coming over from fantasy football, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about. It's a really, uh, really big growth lever for, for fantasy baseball. Totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we definitely kind of just maybe incorrectly assume that everyone just grew up dying to play fantasy baseball, but, um, you know, a lot of us just kind of get there through different avenues and, uh, I played in my first fantasy football league before I played in, I actually played in my first fantasy football league and my first fantasy basketball league before I played my first fantasy baseball league. Uh, Probably just months apart, really like freshman year of college versus sophomore year of college. But um, yeah, I think that's, that's really good to to point out. Um, I've, so I play in, I play in three points leagues. Uh, Two of them are on CBS. One's on ESPN. And you might be able to tell just by those host sites that these leagues have been around for a while. Um, mm-hmm. 12 to 15 years I've been in these leagues. They're my longest tenured leagues. Um, so, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's that there are leagues I've been in with my college buddies, but they're, they're keeper leagues. They're not dynasty leagues. So, um, you know, discussing points leagues, uh, dynasty leagues, you know, that's something I, I don't actually have any actual experience playing in. Um, so I was curious, cause like, you know, part of the, the, the issues we run into and we're trying to give, um, analysis for points leagues is just there, there doesn't, there isn't sort of a uniform, this is the scoring, this is how it is you know, kind of across the board. Uh, so whenever someone asks a question about a points league, you know, I, I always want as much detail as I can get about the, the format just to kind of give as, as good of a, an answer as I can. But do, do, in your experience or just maybe through kind of interacting with uh, people who have been using your rankings, is, is there sort of a most common point scoring format roughly like is there sort of a a standard type of point scoring format or is it really kind of all over the place that's i mean that every question i get about ranks is pretty much the first thing i'm going to say back is show me your scoring settings because they really really matter uh and it's not super uniform um chris clegg and i ran a poll in the preseason to see what platform most people were playing on uh with what scoring settings and it was Fantrax standard. Um, all of my leagues are on Fantrax. I prefer the UI. I actually think their standard scoring settings aren't so bad. You can run into some bad ones like on Yahoo, for example. Um, but in the points league space, I think there are some generalities that you can walk away with. Um, there were a lot of years where I was, you know, looking to your work. I was looking to Chris, uh, and Eric Cross, and I was trying to do this like Rosetta stone of how do I translate everything from, a roto or categories league into something that's going to be a little bit more uh, fitting for the format that I play. And I think every points league player should think about it that way too. kind of take the, the rankings, whether they're geared for roto or points specifically, and try to think about the ways that, you know, if I'm ranking for fan track standard, the way that your league might differ. Um, some of the most common ways that, you know, points leagues index towards are, Starting pitchers are going to be pretty valuable, um, definitely more valuable than they are in Roto. Um, speed is going to be a little bit discredited, so stolen bases you know, are probably not as valuable. Uh, in points formats, relief pitching, you know, you're never going to see a dynasty startup or a, a, a points redraft league start with a, a closer in the third round. Uh, just not going to happen based on the values there, so um, saves not being its own category is a big driver. Um, but there are generalities. What I found was most people that I've been interacting with play on fan tracks. If not, you know, standard scoring, I think, uh, indexes towards starting pitching speed doesn't matter as much. Relievers don't matter as much, that sort of thing. Yeah, that, that definitely checks out. Um, from my experience, uh, the reliever aspect, I always kind of forget about that one, but all three points leagues I play in, everyone just starts one reliever and, uh, you know, we do, it's, it's keeper, it's a keeper league and it's, it's, you know, snake drafting. And so it's kind of, there's just a point in every draft where there's kind of a, all the good closers go off the board sort of in the middle rounds, but then, you know, you could, you could play, you know, you could, you could wait around and try to get like that year's Alexis Diaz. You could get him with, you know, your last pick maybe um, because if it's a 12 team league or 14 team league and everyone's starting one reliever, Obviously, once the first 10 to 12 are gone, you can kind of just wait around. And uh, there's another like another aspect uh, is just the we start way fewer hitters in my 
points leagues than in my roto leagues is that generally true for you like in my points leagues it's usually kind of nine to 12 hitters are started per week yeah i wonder if that is more of a points league specific thing or if it's just a you know that's the the league that you're in all of my points leagues are uh three outfielder two utility um i don't know what that comes out to in terms of total batters like 10 um, some of the roto leagues that I'm in right now have a, like a middle infielder or a corner infield spot, but I don't know that that's necessarily specific to points leagues. That's not something that I've had people say to me like, Hey, my active roster size is, is much larger or the number of players I'm starting is much larger. So, uh, a 12 or 14 or a 16 team league might play bigger than the, you know, the, what you would think it would. Um, that's interesting though. Yeah. And it, it's very it, it definitely pops up when people ask questions, um, especially like when it comes to outfielders. I feel like there's there's a lot of leagues where you're just starting three outfielders and then someone's like, oh, I'm leaving, you know, this I'm leaving Seiya Suzuki on my bench every week. And I'm just like, well, that's kind of weird. And then they say, well, I've got, you know, Tatis and I've got Soto and I've got, you know, whoever else. And that's that's why I'm leaving them on my bench. It's like, OK, well, yeah, you're only starting three. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of different wrinkles and, uh, it makes it, makes it really fun. Um, so what's, do you, you mentioned some of them kind of in terms of, you know, the relievers starting pitchers being worth more. Um, I do kind of, I, the, the starting pitchers being worth more part, um, is that, are we very sort of confident in that? Because I do, I do sometimes wonder with it just being, you know, head to head, you can kind of get away with rolling the dice a bit more on the starting pitcher side um, because it's not going to count against your roto scoring for the year. But at the same time, like, you know, if you if you don't get much that week, you're taking a zero. Maybe you're, you're even taking negative points. Um, so is that is that something you feel pretty strongly about that in in the vast majority of points league, starting pitchers are going to be worth more than in than in a roto league? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. I would say the majority of people that come to me, their question always starts with, I'm going to play, uh, I'm going to trade player X for player Y. One of them's a pitcher and pitching is super overvalued. So don't laugh this, you know, kind of proposal off. Sure. Um, points formats. I want to touch on like the Seiya Suzuki thing. Like I'm, you know, I'm playing three outfielders and I'm, I'm benching a very good player. I think points leagues are interesting because, the construction that you have to generate those points isn't as uh, defined as it might need to be for Roto. For example, there could be a week I would be playing, say, a Suzuki over, you know, a, a better player if I have a particular category that I need to fill. Points, it's just I need to amass as many points as possible. I need to maximize the potential of my roster. And so um, that would be a situation where I would say, like, maybe let go of, say, a Suzuki for another place. Um, but in terms of, um, starting pitching, I would say most standard points formats, you're going to see the top scoring players in those leagues be starting pitchers. Uh, Fantrax is actually a, a pretty notable exception there. I was just looking before we jumped on. Um, Fantrax standard only has one pitcher in the top 10 of total point scoring, um, four in the top 50 starting pitchers, those being wow. Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, Zach Gallon, and Kevin Gaussman, which if you can pull that apart. It's a, a lot of volume and it's a lot of strikeouts those are kind of the things that i i go after in points formats um and fan track standard actually does give a fair amount of value to the super elite relievers uh felix bautista and alexis diaz are 
you know, in the the top 15 scoring in, in Fantrax standard too. So again, I think it really comes down to your league's specific settings. It's a very boring piece of advice to give, but anytime you're joining a points league, uh, it's by far, in, in my opinion, the easiest kind of format to prepare for because you have so many projections available to you that you can run through your scoring settings and get a sense for what player archetypes are going to play up. Uh, what can I maybe avoid or punt on? Uh, is that relievers in this format? Let me double check this. Um, but I think it's really, really league specific. You could play in multiple leagues with the same people year over year over year that all play a little bit differently just with a few off season rule changes. Yeah. And I mean, props to you for, for being there to give advice to people across these different formats. Um, do you have any, you know, for someone maybe uh, who's been in points leagues for a while, or maybe someone who's considering getting into it uh, for the first time this off season, or maybe getting back into it. Uh, do you have any kind of tips that might be applicable, you know, across most points leagues, um, just sort of, small things maybe that, that people could be doing differently to kind of improve their game. Yeah. I think generalities are hard to, to draw. You know, I think you set up top uh, points league specialist. I don't know if that it's a little bit of a misnomer because there are so many. Um, but the two that I always go back to is preparation, right? So like understand exactly what your strategy should be in that league by position group. Um, does speed play up or down? Like is our stolen bases a viable source of points for your team? Um, do you need to be, you know, hoarding, uh, players that hit for exceptional power or does a player like Steven Kwan or Luisa rise play way up in your format? Um, where do pitchers and hitters kind of stack up at the end of the year, especially if it's a head to head points league, um, what, what is going to lead to the best head to head record? That is, you know, kind of the big thing and always run your league scoring settings. Look at previous years look at projections, figure out what uh, is really going to be the uh, kind of hidden source of value there and try and capitalize. Um, I would say use industry ranks as a starting spot, but don't use them as gospel. See a lot of players, uh, you know, that obviously really respect the work of Roto analysts, but kind of take those ordinal ranks as, as gospel without really thinking about how leagues may play differently. Um, the second thing I would say is, be willing to be creative with roster construction. Um, you don't have to be as rigid in a points format as you do in, in cats or Roto. Uh, Cause you don't need to hit specific statistics. Uh, your goal should be to maximize the points on your active roster and maybe not necessarily, especially if you're competing uh, maximize talent throughout your roster. Uh, and this is especially true in head to head leagues. So, you know, you can win in points leagues with really, really creative and interesting builds that might have, you know, little to no viability in, in a cats format. So use projections, figure out where the value is, and then don't be afraid to like buck trends and figure out, you know, what is a viable strategy given my league scoring settings. Yeah, that, that all sounds good. Uh, so my last, and this is kind of a, a detailed question but my last sort of points specific question um i kind of wanted to get this for my for my own information but just I, i'm curious how many because you do dynasty rankings you do prospect rankings uh kind of geared towards points leagues 
I'm curious how much my rankings and your rankings differ just in terms of how highly we're ranking starting pitching prospects. Um, so I was just kind of curious, like how many pitching prospects do you have like in your top 10? How many do you have in your top 25, top 50, top 100? Um, this most recent update I did probably had the the fewest pitchers I've had in my top 100 uh, maybe ever. And that, that might be partially due to just how many graduations we've had on the starting pitching side this season. But uh, just kind of curious where you're at sort of in terms of how high you push pitching prospects. Uh, this is an excellent question. I think it is like a, you know, maybe a material difference. I have two in my top 10. It's Paul Skeens and Gavin Williams. I have them back to back at eight and nine. I think I might be willing to push pitchers a little bit higher than, you know, the, the typical roto analyst um, just because the, the marginal value on them is so great um, inside my top 25. It's just three. So I, you know, I'm really pushing the premium arms there. Hi, it's Ricky Tiedemann at 25 um, inside my top 50 is nine. I don't know how that stacks up uh, relative to you. I have nine. I have nine as well. Uh, I'm I'm not counting Emmett Sheehan just because he's graduated. I mean, I do technically okay. have ten, but uh, in terms of guys who are prospect eligible, I have nine in my top fifty. Okay, I'm still counting Sheehan here. My last update came out uh, late July, sure. so um, so then you maybe some one graduation more. still in here. About the yeah. same. Um, those being Skeens, Williams, Tiedemann, Mizurowski, Brian Wu, Cade Horton, AJ Smith, Shaver, Emmett Sheehan, and Andrew Painter. Uh, and then I have 23 in my top 100. So yeah, that that's that's probably the the biggest difference, I guess, is just uh, I have 16 in my top 100, 17 if you count uh, Sheehan. So you've got six more in your top 100. Um, so I mean, it's it's there's a little bit more there, but uh, that that also could even just come down to the way you and I are valuing certain pitchers sort of in that 15 to 30 range among pitching prospects. Um, I've just got a bunch of them sort of clogged up in the, in the like 115 to 165 range or so, but I, there's definitely a case for several of those guys to be higher than that. So, yeah, um, I, as I think about it, um, I'm probably more willing to push some of those fringy top 100 guys into the top 100, just given the the pressure on arms, at least, you know, based on what I'm hearing from most people I interact with, um, you know, you, the drop off to like, you know, the, the expected outcome for some of those guys beyond the top 50 drops off to, you know, average regular pretty quickly. And so I might be willing to take a stab on uh, some really high upside, even younger arms uh, that don't have a ton of, of proximity. I think that might be the, the biggest difference there. Sure. Sure. Um, so, I mean, you're, you're definitely chasing upside on the pitching side of things. Um, was this, has this been kind of a weird year uh, for you just from a, in, in your points leagues, just in terms of how many uh, pitchers have kind of emerged from and just kind of beat expectations from starting pitchers from before the season through the first three or four months of the season. I feel like there've been more like if you've been kind of paying attention to the wire and stuff, there's been more useful starting pitchers popping up. It seems like than ever before has that kind of shifted any, any sort of 
balance of power in any of your your points leagues just with these these guys emerging or with them being dynasty leagues where these guys all pretty much rostered in the first place yeah dynasties a lot of them were rostered um i will say the one that came immediately to mind was jp france who was not somebody that i had you know prognosticated as a big yeah. part of of any dynasty team um i think that is maybe also an argument for not pushing arms uh too too high when we're seeing a lot of success we're also seeing this trend of arms jumping over the pcl or skipping triple a entirely mm-hmm. um and so, I mean, that's a good point about uh, points leagues is you can afford to take a shot on arms as they get a crack at the the MLB roster. And if they perform well uh, and maybe you're not totally bought in, that's a place where you can flip for excess value because, you know, in my experience, everybody's kind of hurting for pitching, especially when you get into deeper points leagues, you know, 20 teams uh, and above. I will say my my ranks feel a little bit barren after all of these arms coming up and staying up. Uh, I don't know if that is a totally outlandish trend. I, I think it's more success than I thought we would see at the beginning of the year with a lot of these players. Um, I'm also noticing that I feel like I have fewer big time pop-up pitchers this year, and maybe that's because they're all graduating so soon, but curious what your take is on that. Huh? Yeah, I, well, so I think I, I do think the, prospect rankings when we get to the end of the season and when we you know especially kind of get into like december january i think people are going to be a lot more comfortable with some of the uh, pitching prospects who have really kind of come on strong over the past you know six weeks eight weeks and then you know now through the end of the season um i don't necessarily know exactly which guys it'll be but you know, I think, you know, the Red Sox have a few guys who are really shooting up and, uh, you know, you got guys like, you know, Caden Dana, um, Jackson Ferris, Owen Murphy, guys from, from last year's draft class who, who have kind of been popping this summer. Um, I, I just, I think there are a lot of guys that have kind of gone from sort of ranked in the sort of post 250 range that are now kind of clear top. 200 pushing top 150 and by the time we get to november december i do think there will be you know 25 30 pitching prospects that most people feel really comfortable with as sort of universal top 150 prospects um but i just think a lot of them you know kind of looking at my rankings you know guys like uh mason black Jairo iriarte uh blade tidwell guys like that um it's it's really sort of been the past two months or so that's really kind of pushing a lot of their value so i don't i don't think you know there's enough trust kind of in the industry in those guys sort of being what they've shown recently but i I do think when we get to the offseason i think there will be you know kind of a crop of pitching prospects that people feel pretty comfortable with yeah that makes sense to me i'm thinking about this is about the time last year where things really hit go for andrew painter for example Mm -hmm. um so it might just be you know we're at a point in the year where we don't have the sample to really throw guys way up rankings right right i think that that's exactly where we're at right now is it's just very there isn't uh much consensus in terms of which pitching prospects make up sort of the back half of like a top 30 pitching prospects. I just right. think it's very much um, 
get your guy, uh, value the guys you like the most right now. But I do think there will be kind of more of a consensus in the offseason. And you and I, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, at the end, but you, you're, you and I are both in uh, this uh, midseason prospect mock that uh, Eric and Chris put on for the, the Toolshed podcast. And, yeah, I'm just looking at the the pitching prospects that have gone there. And, I mean, it is, it is kind of – all over the place um you know maybe round four round five they start going but um yeah it's been it, pitching prospects i feel like it's always this way it's just kind of beauty in the eye of the beholder but um it is an interesting time like you could in some shallower leagues you could add a guy right now maybe even who who's i might consider like a, a borderline top 30 pitching prospect so a very interesting time um okay uh let's head to a message from our sponsors when we come back uh zach and i are gonna recap the best prospects to move at the deadline we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all the heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. 
The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There is a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of a year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be for any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. Okay, Zach, we're back. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to spend too much time on the big league side of what happened at the trade deadline. You know, plenty of people have recapped that already. Uh, but I did want to touch on the, the prospects because, um, you know, that's, that's what you and I kind of specialize in. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted to start with the Mets. Uh, you know, the Mets bring in Luis Angel Acuna, Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford, Marco Vargas, um, kind of most notably there. And, you know, I think Acuna is a, is a great place to start here, especially w- while we're kind of discussing the differences of Roto and points, because uh, at least sort of, you know, from my perspective, I think Acuna is very much a Roto prospect. Like, I think he's a guy where the valuation, how much I would care about having him would definitely change if i was in a roto league versus a points league uh, because i do think he's to me he his upside is sort of like a premium version of tommy edmund um and that's that's a great player and that's a that's a useful player in points leagues but i think it's more useful probably in roto leagues is that is that a good read on that that i think that's an excellent read on that um a lot of his value is going to come from the speed that he provides he's got a neon green light when he's on first base and uh, loves to run. That's not going to play as well in, in points leagues, but uh, if I were ranking for Roto, I'd certainly have him inside my top 50. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty good get um, for the Mets and, and he brings you know, defensive value to the table as well. So uh, a good real life prospect in addition to a, a good fantasy prospect. Uh, what about Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford, Marco Vargas, do you have a, a favorite um, among that trio? Like, I, you know, I think Clifford to me strikes me as definitely a very good uh, points league prospect. Yes. Um, just going by my ranks, my, I guess, air quotes favorite would be Drew Gilbert. Um, he is uh, inside my top 50. I think he's around 47 or so. Um, it's a, a profile that, that plays really well in points, as does Clifford. Um, Gilbert closer to the majors makes a ton of contact is going to be the you know, top of the order spark plug. I loved watching him uh, in college. Um, he's he kind of similar in, in stature and even profile a little bit, you know, to guys like uh, uh, Joey Ortiz and Sal Frelick. Uh, he's a little bit smaller than a guy like Jackson Merrill, but I'm thinking that, you know, bat first, the uh, contact profile over impact, for now is, is kind of how he is going to make his, uh, how he's going to score points for you. Um, it's above average contact. It's a little bit of a smaller frame when he does get to power it's, it's pull side. 
Um, he's a, a air quotes safer prospect in my mind. Where I'm at with Clifford, I really like his profile for points formats. He just missed my top 100. I think I have him at like well, 109. You know, the difference you know, between 109 and 99 is uh, pretty negligible. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's demolishing high A with, uh, you know, albeit Asheville. Um, in his age 19 season, my, my only hesitation is uh, – pushing up too far what I think is probably a first base only profile. You know, he spent some time in the outfield uh, too high, too quick. I, you know, I kind of have the the same thing with a Xavier Isaac type, um, but I, I like them both a lot. I think it's really interesting that Steve Cohen is buying prospects uh, this time around. They got, you know, a, a lot of good gets there. Their farm is significantly better than it was a week ago. Yep. Um, and, you know, with Scherzer's comments on the way out talking about how, they're not going to compete for a year or two. I'm really uh, interested to see where Cohen and Epler take this. And I think they did well here. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a secret that David Stearns is probably going to take over next year. And uh, yeah, I mean, he very much likes to operate with a kind of controlled payroll and uh, get as many good prospects in the system as possible and try to get something that's uh sort of a set it and forget it in terms of the the talent on the 40 man. But um, yeah, interesting to note with, with Gilbert and Clifford that they're both left-handed hitters. So uh, they weren't necessarily going to be able to take advantage of the Crawford boxes uh, the way that, you know, right-handed hitting Astros prospect might. Um, but I, I do really like Gilbert. Uh, he's been really kind of, all contact, not a ton of patience over this sort of hot stretch he's been on over the past month as he kind of gets dialed into to double a pitching. And then, um, you know, I think just, just based on the reactions I've seen on Twitter, I think Clifford and Marco Vargas might be a, a little overrated. Um, just in some circles, I, I think, you know, whenever whenever a prospect gets traded who's not necessarily a household name, but is someone where you know a lot of prospect analysts are sort of hip to their value or, or what they're all about, there kind of becomes sort of a race among analysts to sort of be like, I love Marco Vargas. I've been on Marco Vargas for for months, or you know, you know, Clifford is my number twenty overall prospect or whatever, and it's kind of. Um, it's, it's more sort of that they're in the news and they were traded than, than something actually happened that affected their value. Um, so I, I don't know. Do you have any, do you have a, a read on where Vargas should be ranked? Like I, I just, you know, I know he's got an amazing hit tool. He's great at making contact and stuff, but he, he is still a ways away. And I don't know how much category juice there is there uh, long-term. There's kind of a lot riding on that hit tool. Yeah. I, I do think the reactions to that trade was really funny. It was a lot of people being like, who is uh, Marco Vargas? And then a lot of analysts saying, you know, he would be in our, our top 100 at the midseason update or, or whatever the, the case was. I am admittedly less familiar with Vargas. Um, some of the, the DSL and complex league guys. Um, I haven't gotten a ton of eyes on from what I've read. Um, you know, he's, he just turned 18. He's playing very well at the complex. I think he's OPSing like 900. Um, 
you already mentioned the hit tool. There's some, some pretty interesting zone contact data for him floating out there. I've seen conflicting sources uh, on what his zone contact looks like. Some of it says it's, uh, you know, elite. Some of it says it's just very good. Uh, app, you know, the diminishing returns on contact are such that maybe I don't mind as much. Um, I've also seen some comps of his TrackMan data um, in the Florida complex uh, and heard favorable comparisons to like Max Clark's circuit uh, TrackMan data. Um, some of the guys at Baseball America were referencing that. I, I think you're right, though. Um, this would probably be a good time to try to capitalize on value or that buzz from the the deadline because uh, there is kind of that that everybody always wants to be the guy that is uh, way in on the the buzzy prospect. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think uh, what are, I mean, we got to come back to just the fact the Mets did a great job here um, restocking the farm. I I would hope that they try to go for it again next year, but I, mean, I guess we'll see on that front. Uh, what did you make of, you know, I, this is my favorite type of trade. I, I love just a one for one, uh, not necessarily, you know, maybe a challenge trade, but I just, I love when two really good baseball players get traded for one another, Aaron Savali for Kyle Manzardo. I know that didn't happen yesterday, but uh, what, what was your sort of takeaway or reaction, I guess, to the Savali for Manzardo? Uh, switch between the guardians and the Rays. I was really surprised at first. Uh, and then I, you know, I try to live by the mantra that I should never think I'm smarter than the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I do really like Kyle Manzardo. I think he's a premium first base prospect. Uh, he's running an 80% overall contact rate, 88% uh, zone contact rate. His 90th percentile exit velo has ticked up. I know the surface numbers don't look super good this year. Um, he's running a career low Babbitt, which I think is really suppressing some things. And he has some um, uh, unfortunate off the field stuff going on that we don't have to get too into, but would be weighing uh, heavily, I can imagine. So I'm still very into Manzardo. I read this more as the Rays feel like they have their first base options kind of figured out um, the, you know, Yandy Diaz performance this year has been stellar. They still have uh, Aranda. Um, Mead can play some first base. They're kind of overflowing with these guys that project out of corner. Um, and Yandi's under contract through 2026. So my initial reaction was, you know, what what do the Rays know about Manzardo? Uh, after sleeping on it, I, you know, Savali feels like a, an arm the Rays might target. I think Eno was was quoting he's number one in curveball stuff plus this year. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what what they do with him. Helps them probably more right now than Manzardo was going to anyway. Um, I'm still very in uh, on Manzardo. I'm trying not to take the Rays trading him away as a, a harbinger for uh, bad things to come. Yeah, no, I think I think that's very smart. I don't, I don't think anyone who has Manzardo in a dynasty league should feel any lower on him than, than before. And, uh, honestly, I, I kind of, I would like it if I had him in a dynasty league, uh, just because I think it's a very, very clear path to everyday playing time with the guardians for him. Whereas I think eventually it would have sorted itself out and he would have been playing pretty much every day with the Rays. But as you said, there was just never going to be sort of a rush to sort of hand him the keys 
uh, there might have been sort of an up and down thing with him. They might have given him, you know, three weeks and sent him back to AAA if he if he wasn't crushing it just because they do have all these options. They do have Curtis Mead already on the 40 man. They've got Xavier Isaac kind of, you know, breaking out in, in the lower levels. So they dealt from a position of strength. And uh, I think people might really sort of underestimate Aaron Savali's value to big league baseball teams. Um, it's just so hard to find controllable mid rotation starting pitching. Um, and, and, you know, I think the Rays, the Cleveland probably made him available and, you know, I sh- I'm sure a lot of teams wanted to get their hands on him and the Rays put that big chip on the table and got it done. So, uh, I really wouldn't wouldn't look at this as any sort of a reason to downgrade Manzardo. I think you you nailed a lot of that stuff with just stuff going on in his life and uh, probably a little bit unlucky this year. So, um, and he's such he's such a Guardians prospect, really. I mean, they, they love guys that make contact at a high clip. They love guys uh, that put the ball in play, and Manzardo will definitely do that. So, I, I think it was just a really good trade that that's going to help both clubs and. Obviously, the Rays are going for it this year, and I don't think Manzaro was going to help them in 2023. Right. I totally agree. One last note there is uh, this trade, I think, was really emblematic of the difference between real-life baseball values and fantasy baseball values. Uh, I think we forget a little bit about how important defense is and being at the top of the defensive spectrum. It's really important to, to big league teams, so that certainly plays a part, too, and then I like your note about, you know, controllable mid-rotation pitching is a premium asset. Yeah, and and I think, uh, you know, Zach Eflin, like if you just kind of look at what the Rays did with Zach Eflin this year, I mean, I think Aaron Savali might even be more highly thought of right now than Zach Eflin was when they signed him um, over the offseason. So, uh, okay, now this next trade, I absolutely love for one side. Um and I'm kind of lower on for the other side, but Jake Berger for Jake Eater. Um, <laughs> I just, I really love this for the Marlins. I mean, they might not do anything this year, but I just love that they they added this type of power bat to the lineup. And uh, Jake Eater has, has a lot of fans in the prospect analyst community. I think a lot of that still sort of stems from what he did pre Tommy John. Um, And I kind of think the white Sox sort of painted themselves into a corner here with basically just having an excess of designated hitters and a major uh, shortage of viable big league starters. Uh, What's your read on it? I mean, I, I, be interested for a kind of an outside opinion because I'm very, very high on Jake Berger's power. Um, you know, he's got some other issues, but uh, what, what did you think of that one? Berger for Eater. I love a Jake for Jake challenge trade. I also, you know, was seeing some funny takes about the Marlins going from an all second baseman defense to an all first base defense uh, after also acquiring Josh Bell. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting. The Marlins really needed some thump in that, that lineup. Um, Berger is coming off of a, an extremely cold June. July was better, um, you know. So I'm hoping he can be what they they want him to be. I don't want to throw cold water on Eater either, um, but 
Tommy John is not a riskless surgery. Um, his stuff doesn't look at, at least visually to me quite the way that it did pre Tommy John. Um, his fastball right now is sitting in the low nineties. Uh, not a lot of, uh, uh, ride or run on it at all. Uh, and the sweeper, the velo separation is, is, you know, between the sweeper and the fastball is, uh, there's a lot there. I don't think it's going to miss a ton of bats. I'm definitely down on him from where I was pre Tommy John. I'm trying not to let the, the helium of how good he looked, uh, pre-injury, um, carry me there. And I think he's a little less interesting in Chicago's organization as well. If I can keep an arm, an interesting developing arm in Miami for fantasy purposes, that's probably where I want to go. Um, I like this for Miami. I think it's a really, it it fills a need at the big league level for an arm that we're not totally sure who he's going to be coming off of a, you know, what is a major injury. Yeah. And I, I would just caution people. uh, Like I know, I know people love to reference uh, like the great work that Eric Long and Hagen does at fan graphs on prospects. But I, every time I go to Jake Eater's page, I see that, uh, TLDR nearly back from TJ eater might be lefty Spencer Strider. Uh, people need to realize that was before Spencer Strider was Spencer Strider was when that TLDR was, was posted. So uh, you just got to be careful, like relying on, on that type of thing for, for analyzing these guys. And eater is the epitome of a spare part for the Marlins. You know, they have, like pitching is what they know how to do. That's that's what they can develop. That's what they can target. And they know that that's kind of their wheelhouse. And you have a guy coming back from injury. Stuff is down. Uh, they could they could part with Jake Eater and not lose a ton of sleep, I would imagine. So um, an interesting trade. You know, one of the more interesting trades, I think, of the deadline there. Uh, we don't have to go into each specific deal, but... You know, the Cardinals really uh, reloaded their farm system. I mean, I I think it's probably almost a blessing for them that they were this far out of the hunt and couldn't kind of talk themselves into being buyers. So um, they bring in Thomas Sejaci, Cesar Prieto, Zach Showalter, Takoa Roby, Adam Klofenstein, Drew Rahm, among others. Uh, do you have any favorites of the prospects that St. Louis acquired at this year's deadline? Any kind of overall thoughts about uh, the types of players they went after? Uh, I mean, a bunch of these guys feel like Cardinals to me. Um, the the yeah. three that come to mind immediately um, are Cesar Prieto, uh, Thomas Ajazi, and Zach Showalter was actually my favorite of the bunch. Uh, nice. He's only got... 30 innings in his professional career, but the stuff looks really good. Um, Fastball is mid nineties, very flat approach angle. His, you know, release height, at least visually uh, is very low. Um, That fastball plays way up. The sweeper and changeup are really good. Um, It's a a small track record, but visually it, it's really impressive stuff. And the results have been superb. Um, So he's one as a Brewers fan that, makes me a little bit nervous, uh, you know, for him to be in the, uh, Cardinal system. Um, Prado, you know, I think he just feels like a really solid big leaguer. Um, Baltimore could really afford to let him go. There were a lot of pieces in the way for him to get any kind of significant big league run. Yep. Um, 
he's just never going to strike out. I think he's striking out like 8% of the time in AAA right now. Um, it's a profile that should play well in points. I just don't really see him being a difference maker, but he's going to be a, uh, he profiles like a solid uh, big league regular, which is, you know, the Cardinals kind of stockpile those guys. Uh, and then so Jay-Z, you know, rounding out my, my top three that I think they got back. Um, I wrote him up as a deep league target preseason. I really liked the you know idea that he could break out this year and actually be more of a, a chip to trade for fantasy than for uh, real life baseball. I got part of it right. He got off to a really slow start this year, um, had a really bad April, but his May, June, and July have been scorching. Um, I think he probably profiles best as a second baseman, not a ton of, uh, as you would say, category juice there, I think. Um, but it's a lot more interesting at, at second base for fantasy purposes. I think the Cardinals did pretty well for what was supposed to be a, a teardown. I'm not particularly happy about it as a, a fan of the well, don't, yeah, don't, uh, I wouldn't worry that much. Um, but I mean, it is, they, they did really like they, they basically doubled the amount of relevant prospects in their system. And, um, you know, they, I'm not in love with show Like I, I, I agree with you. I like show Walter probably the most of the pitchers they got, um, you know, show Walter, Roby, Kloffenstein, Rom, at least two of those guys probably amounts to, to not much at all. Um, and they, they probably hit on one and maybe they get just like a, a big leaguer out of the other one, but uh, they're just, they just rarely have had more than two to three interesting arms in that system. And now they have, you know, a half dozen or so. And uh, so JC, so probably my favorite guy that they, they got. Um, he is, he's a total Cardinal. Um, not the same game necessarily but uh, you know he just reminds me of a lot of middle infielders for the cardinals from present and past and uh you're 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 dead on with just how how well he's been hitting uh as the weather's heated up here this summer um i i really wanted him to get traded from the rangers just because they had such a log jam of guys that sort of played his positions ahead of him and you know cardinals maybe not the perfect landing spot just in terms of getting him playing time as soon as possible but uh it's, it's a bit more clear for him to to get there and then uh you know prieto uh, definitely a, a spare piece for the orioles um i wonder if he i mean it's just you know he he almost has to be kind of Luis Arias level good as a, from a hit tool standpoint, I, I worry uh, just kind of given the, the power and the athleticism. And I don't, I don't think he's known as, as being a great defender, but um, I mean, when you get this, this much talent at a deadline, you know, you don't need everyone to hit. So uh, I thought the Cardinals had a, had a good weekend and I thought it was, you know, I think a lot of the teams that did really well were teams that sort of picked a lane in terms of going for it or selling. And I think some other teams just kind of couldn't really pick a lane and uh, had more underwhelming deadlines. Um, what did you think of the Paul Seawald trade uh, with the Diamondbacks? I, I got to admit, I'm not very high on any of the guys that the Mariners got back there. And I... I love that the Diamondbacks got a, a legitimate 
ninth inning arm in, in Seawald, but uh, I don't know. Do you, do you feel differently about Dominic Canzone or uh, Ryan Bliss or, or Josh Rojas? I So this is one I struggled with. Um, I do like that the Diamondbacks were you know able to get a ninth inning arm. Uh, they have him for the remainder of this year and next year. Uh, initially, when I saw this news break, I thought it was a pure rental, and I was very confused about the return the Mariners got for a couple months of Paul Seawald's services. Um, I, I'm not crazy about any of these guys. I think uh, Rojas can play some second base for them as needed. Uh, Ryan Bliss, there's a little bit of intrigue. He's uh, very undersized. So, you know, I worry about what the actual impact is there for fantasy purposes. Um, Canzone, I'm not really in love with either. I know there are some people who are higher on him. Um, Eric Cross and uh, Chris Welsh, I think talked about it earlier this week on a pod. Um, so that was one I know smarted for, for Welsh, but you know, that this trade in, in particular didn't do a lot for me on, on either side, probably prefer getting the, you know, kind of set it and forget it closer for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally side with the, uh, with the buyer, just given what the way the market is right now, I just I think it is a buyer's market in general, and I, I think Arizona probably sold high on or relatively high, I guess, on on Bliss and Canzone. I I, I definitely get quad A vibes from Canzone. I know the uh, very small sample, like X stats, are favorable for him, um, but I. I Arizona probably did well to, to get something of value for him. And then, and I mean, where was he really going to play for Arizona anyways? Um, but then also um, bliss. I mean, it's that, uh, that run at double a Amarillo as a 23 year old or whatever is, is really doing all the heavy lifting in terms of propping up his profile. Yeah. I, I, another thing I, I wonder about Canzone. I don't really know where he plays for Seattle with regularity either. Um, I don't know that he's all that different from uh, Sam Haggerty or uh, um, Dylan Moore, um, kind of a fourth outfielder type there too. So I'm not totally sure what the the direction is in the outfield, especially since they decided to hold on to T Oscar through the deadline. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they probably would have had to just give T Oscar away. And then uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Seattle is high on, at least one of those guys and maybe all three of them, but probably Canzone is, is the headliner there, I guess. Um, so I don't want to just like, I don't, I don't think I know these prospects better than Jerry DePoto necessarily, but I do kind of wonder that they might've really liked one of these guys. Cause I would, I would think a lot of the, uh, I mean, what team couldn't have used a year and a half of Paul Seawald. So I guess, kind of interesting that that was that was his market but um what about uh, this last last trade for us to to recap here uh we can go pretty short and sweet on this one but michael lorenzen for for how you lee uh tigers and phillies making a one for one there uh i thought it was a a good win now move for the phillies but uh how you lee's got a, a pretty solid hit tool what do you think about that one yeah i felt the same way um I, again, I'm going to side with the buyer there. If you can get a, a guy who's going to help you right now in your big league rotation for 
you know, I, I don't want to use the Bob Nightingale fringe prospect terminology. Oh my God. Not, <laughs> that's how he, uh, he dropped. He dropped fringe prospect on Ryan Clifford. That was, yeah. that was wild. Yeah. So much shit. Uh, had a lot of fun uh, on Twitter <laughs> with that one. Uh, but that, you know, that is genuinely kind of how I feel about how you Lee. Um, he came over, I think in 2021, had a real breakout last year uh, in the Florida state league. Um, I think he won, you know, best hitter in that league last year. I, I don't know how much fantasy intrigue there really is. Um, it's power over hit, which is a little bit, uh, you know, surprising given his his frame. Um, I don't I don't love either side of this deal. I, uh, you know, if I had to pick a side, I would pick Lorenzen <laughs> just because it's pitching uh, right now for your big league team. Yeah, I'd, that's this is another one where it, I just assume. Um... I assume the Tigers like Lee, uh, but I, you know, like why didn't a team, you know, could the Reds have beaten this package and gotten Lorenzen? Um, like that, that's maybe my question with this one is more just kind of like there, there were plenty of teams that needed a guy like Michael Lorenzen. And most of those teams had a prospect of how you lose caliber. So um, just seemed like a good, you know, good capitalizing on the market there for, for the Phillies. Um, okay. Uh, let's close it out here with uh, some talk about the uh, mid season prospect mock draft that you and I are both in. Uh, you've made your final pick. We did 20 rounds. Um, I think Aaron judge has been auto picked by probably <laughs> half the league at this point or half, half the, the mock draft field at this point. But um Let's let's start at the very top because I, I when you're doing a, a mock draft, a mock prospect draft, um, I I tend to think the value is usually kind of on these proximity type of guys because yeah, you took Colton Kowser uh, with the twelfth overall pick, and then you took Curtis Mead um, at sixteenth uh, overall, and you're you know you're not going to have like a bunch of people like oh man I love that. Kowser pick at 12th overall in like a prospect mock draft or anything like that. But uh, I, I love going Kowser and Mead there. I think they're very safe. They're both big league ready. Um, but I, I've also kind of noticed I've been getting questions about people sort of panicking about Kowser's slow start. And I just don't, I don't understand uh, why, but I mean, I guess, can you kind of give some thoughts about Kowser and, and sort of what you like about him and sort of how you project him going forward? Because I think, I think he's great. I am. I'm a huge Colton Kowser fan. I think right now is the best time to buy that yes. you might have in several years. Oh yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, it goes hand in hand. The best time to buy a prospect is after they've struggled for a month or two. Um, you're seeing a lot of really great examples of this. If you could have bought Riley green last year, uh, you'd be laughing at the bank right now. Um, so a cows are perfectly fits that mold for me. Um, he was one of my favorite targets in the 2021 draft. Um, everything I saw and read, uh, about him at Sam Houston had me weigh in on his hit tool. It's something that I index heavier towards, especially for points leagues that, uh, have a K penalty. Um, I don't think the ceiling is necessarily crazy, um, but I do think that he's going to be a really steady bat hitting, you know, potentially at the top or the middle of a really good Orioles lineup for the next decade or so. 
you know, a 25, 15 kind of guy feels very attainable to me with solid batting averages. I'm just, it's not the the sexiest pick in, you know, the, the 12 spot that I could have made my tiers kind of really opened up after like the sixth or seventh pick. So I could go the route I wanted to. And I just chose, you know, proximity of a guy. I think he's going to be rock solid for, for a long time. And I would be buying if the Cowser owner in my league was feeling a little discouraged after 50 or 75 plate appearances. Yeah, I agree with literally everything you said there. Uh, I mean, just, just go back to sort of where, you know, people, you know, Gunnar Henderson, like three weeks into the season, like people were panicking and um, I was even lamenting like the one or two spots I got him in redraft. And I mean, you just got to be patient. Uh, well with when it's a prospect you believed in and you had done the due diligence to kind of figure out what that prospect was all about, like two to three weeks in the big leagues, even five to six weeks in the big leagues shouldn't change your evaluation. And if it's changing other people's evaluation, it's, it's a great time to get in there. Uh, you also, you, I mentioned you went Curtis Mead in the second, uh, you got Max Clark in the third, Jacob Mizorowski in the fourth, Harry Ford in the fifth. Uh, I wanted to ask you, though, about uh, Chase Hampton, who you got in the sixth round. Um, I thought that was a, a very good pick there. Um, I mean, he's, to me, kind of becoming one of the better pitching prospects in the game just due to other other players graduating. But um Talk to me about Chase Hampton and and kind of what you see there and uh, where he ranks for you among all pitching prospects. Yeah, I just popped over to my ranking sheet to see exactly where where he fell, and he's at fifty one. So he just missed my nine arms in the top fifty. I have him as my number fifty one overall prospect, my number ten arm. Um, I just he is so fun to watch. He has uh, the the fastball is lethal, and then he's got. Uh, two pretty good weapons, um, you know, to to back it up with the slider and the curveball. Um, right now, I just did a, a couple queries. Uh, he's number two in the minors in K minus walk rate uh, among arms over fifty innings. So really, just trying to weed out relievers. He's number five uh, in the minors in called strike and whiff rate uh, for pitchers who have faced over a hundred batters. So that is again just. Trying to weed out relievers, uh, his fastball is wicked. Uh, it's really fun to watch. It's one of those that kind of floats uh, and and seemingly defies gravity. It's got 19 inches of induced vertical break. A really good fastball is something I look for in pitching prospects now. It's really hard to be successful at the big league level with a fastball that's that's not so good. And you see that even in Stuff Plus models where – they model secondaries off of the fastball because it helps everything play up so much. So um, Hampton is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, I think he has a lot of uh, successful starter traits. I'm hesitant to put like number one overall, uh, number one starter upside on anybody. I think, you know, if I could think of a, a few just from this year, it would have been Yuri Perez, Paul Skeens and Gavin Williams. Hampton, I think like ceiling for him looks like a number two starter. Um, but he's kind of the, you know, we had that discussion about the arms in the 10 to 30 range or the 15 to 30 range. He's kind of the one I'm planting my flag on. Um, everything just looks outstanding. 
Yeah, lo- love all that. Um, yeah, and you got him in the sixth, and this is a, you know, I mean, let me I just want to look at how many pitchers went ahead of him here. So, um, in reverse order, Brian Wu, Cade Horton, AJ Smith, Shaver, Brandon Fott, Tink Hentz, Emmett Sheehan, Kyle Harrison, Andrew Painter, Jacob Mizorowski, Shane Boz, Gavin Williams, Ricky Tiedemann, Paul Skeens, Mason Miller. I Jesse Roach and these things, like, I far be it for me to uh, tell anyone what uh, settings they should set these mocks up for, but I, I just hate it when these pitchers who I've graduated because of 45 days on the active roster and have fewer than 50 innings, like Jesse just kept, he took Shane Boz, Brian Wu, and uh, Reese Olsen, who I would have, every single one of those guys I would have taken ahead of him if I had remembered they were eligible for this thing mm-hmm. due, to, due to innings. But um, yeah, I mean, you got, you got Hampton well outside the first uh, 10 pitching prospects off the board. So uh, nice job there. Um, what did you think about the the rest of this mock exercise? Was there, was there anyone you, you really wanted um, that you got sniped on any kind of just general observations of sort of, the lay of the land right now in terms of the prospect universe. Yeah. I think as I was going through this, um, I, you know, we're at a really interesting point in the season where the trade deadline is passed. We have new draftees. We have, uh, almost enough, you know, track record this year to feel good about, uh, some players and where they're going to rank. And I don't think everybody's crystallized on how their tiers really shake out outside of, you know, the top 25 or so. So there's a lot of different, opinions out there. I always enjoy, you know, taking part in these just to see, uh, you know, kind of pressure test where I have people ranked. Um, I will say at the spot I took Mead, I was also, um, considering Kobe Mayo, uh, and Gavin Williams at that point. I don't know if that's the, the points league in me with Williams, um, you know, jumping up to grab a pitcher at, at 17, but, um, I've held pretty steady on need throughout the course of the year. I know there were some people that um, dropped him a little bit as he worked through injury. Um, but Mayo has, has been unbelievable this year. Um, he was really interesting to follow almost immediately after he was drafted over slot. Um, I was pretty overjoyed to get Jacob Mizirowski in the fourth. I don't know if I'm drunk on his stuff. Uh, or if I'm underestimating the reliever risk there, but I am a huge Mizorowski fan. Um, I actually have him as my number four overall uh, pitching prospect. And then, you know, as I was going back over the, the draft board, uh, that run of Horton, Wu, Locklear, Isaac, Carson Williams in the fifth leading up to my Hampton pick felt like all of my, all of my cue was going to be gone by the time it got to me. So uh, I was, I was happy to get Hampton there. I would have loved any of them, uh, at that spot or even being available, you know, on the, the wheel there, assuming they made it past Jeff Ponce and Chris Welsh. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, Matt Eddy just kept pepper in my queue and I would let someone get to him at the, he was picking first, I was picking third. So I should have done a better job of keeping away, um, Mets really more than anything else. Jet Williams, mm. uh, that that one stung, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, participating in that with you. 
uh, Zach, uh, any, anything you want to plug, anything you want to tell the listeners about anything you've been working on? Um, yeah, I mean, I do dynasty and prospect ranks for points leagues. Um, all of my stuff goes up on the dynasty dugout. That's Chris Clegg's, um, sub stack. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, we've got a really active discord with, uh, guys who are talking baseball literally 24 seven. And I mean that like I wake up to a lot of messages, uh, every morning, somebody found, a diamond in the rough somewhere and we have all got to you know have a group film session uh <laughs> ton of fun uh all my stuff goes up on twitter as well um i'm at upper underscore beck um that's where all of my baseball takes good and bad live um but yeah that's you know that's pretty pretty much it for me well thanks again for hanging out with me on this wednesday evening zach it was a lot of fun chatting with you i'm sure we'll We'll get to catch up plenty more in the future. Um, so thanks again. Uh, this has been the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. I'll be back with another episode in a week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.